All right, Power Athlete Nation, before we get into this episode, we've got a word from our sponsors. John, what do you got? I want to give a shout out to Steve's, who makes some of the best beef jerky I've had in recent years. As you know, I'm a big jerky snob, and this stuff is good. What I like about it is how simple it is. As I've always said, the best beef jerky is usually the simplest beef jerky, and simple ain't easy. As I can attest, the big beef jerky brands use sugar, fillers, and subpar ingredients to cut corners and lower the price point so they can sell at a premium, but not Steve's. He uses the highest quality beef jerky with zero sugar, a few carbs, and a simple recipe based on natural ingredients, no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. On top of having some badass jerky, Steve is also a family-owned business in South Jersey. He started with a simple obsession, make the best portable protein snacks on the market. And Steve is also a power athlete himself and follows the Grindstone program. So I love their tagline. When you're at the top of the food chain, eat like it. If you guys want to give it a try, he's throwing us out a 20% discount code. So use Power Athlete 20 on your first order and see exactly how good this stuff is. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. It's interesting that the consumption of meat has been largely responsible for so many evolutionary developments in humans, and that some of the beneficiaries of this exact diet now stand in staunch opposition to it. Thank goodness there are those like Brian Sanders of Food Lies, the upcoming film, with energy left to battle with rational thinking and scientific studies. Here it is, episode 537. Brian, welcome to Power Athlete Radio, man. You've piqued our interest. People have been sending us some of your your food lies, and it was an immediate follow for us. And a lot of similar details jumped off the page from the message you're providing, and we just had to to get you on, man, and sit you down for excellent conversation. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm trying to spread some truth in this crazy world we're living in. Uh, Yeah, but... I don't know if people want to know this stuff. It's easier just to live in the facade, you know, and figure out what mainstream media is just pumping into them. I mean, it does seem like that. Some people just want to be plugged into the matrix and a lot of people don't want to wake up to reality. And yeah, it, the truth hurts sometimes. So uh, give us some background. How, uh, how'd you get into this fight? I mean, uh, we were going through your, you know, your background, your CV a little bit. I mean, UCLA and, um, you know, Sapien and just kind of give us a little bit of the story and the background and how you got into this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer by training, which I think helps sometimes. I, a lot of my doctor friends kind of admit that they were a bit brainwashed into this way of thinking about food and medicine and health. And that I know a lot of other engineers that come at it from a different angle. And we kind of just look at first principles and look at the systems approach and kind of see a different way of looking at things, right? That we're not bought into a certain nutrition paradigm. So that was kind of my base. Uh, I got into health seven years ago. I lost both my parents to chronic disease. And so I was around 30 and it's kind of crazy that this is kind of a normal thing these days that, you know, people are just dying. We're normalizing obesity, chronic disease, you know, taking multiple medications once you're middle age. And I just kind of woke up to the fact that this is not right. Uh, they did not have to die from these diseases. These were caused by their diet and lifestyle. And I was, you know, also 30, I I couldn't eat whatever I wanted anymore. So I had to think about what I was eating. And I've been on this journey since then, started making this film Food Lies four years ago and have done nothing but uh, interview people, research, 
uh, everything into health and fitness and food and nutrition since uh, since then. So with the standard paradigm, I mean, obviously, uh, if we go back in time, we can probably pick a few points where all of a sudden we went off track in this country. I mean, um, you know, you can look at like the Ansel Key study from 1959, seven countries was a big one. But really, all of a sudden, um, and I, I think it was in the 50s or the 60s, uh, the USDA starts coming out with food recommendations. Like, here's their pyramid. This is what people need to eat. And they started pushing people into this. Uh, have you ever, I mean, um, I'm sure you've looked back and thought, man, there was a point where we really deviated. I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, um, man, I got into this years ago, but like Mark Sisson and other people even go back as far and say, well, it was the beginning of agriculture and the end of hunter gatherers. It started, you know, thousands of years ago, but in this country, the problems that we're seeing were really within the last 70 years. Yeah. I, well, in the film, we're going all the way back to when we were apes. We were, we're going to the primate ancestors 7 million years ago, how we split off from there. And we show how our bodies change and how we require animal foods for nutrition. So that's a whole can of worms you can open. Uh, vegans try to say, oh, well, we don't have fangs or something. You know, all, all of their arguments are completely debunkable and, and they just don't know how human physiology works. So that that's one step. Then yes, I love Mark Sisson. I mean, reading his book back in the day is really what got me started. Uh, primal blueprint and hunter gatherers did decline since agricultural revolution and we got shorter we got uh less healthy we got um more lesions on our bones we can see all this from with smaller brains you know th there's a clear line in the sand in the archaeological record showing when we started eating more of these grains and going away from just natural whole foods then there's another big step before the ansel key stuff you brought up 70 years ago I think this was important too to look into is when did we start thinking meat was bad? You know, it's like, this is a crazy concept for all of history. This was something we sought after. This was the most valuable thing we could get. Right? I just actually went to Africa for the film. So I, and I studied with these hunter gatherer tribes, all uh, they care about. Where'd you go? Uh, uh, where'd you go and who were the tribes? Yeah. So Tanzania and Uganda went with the Hadza. We went uh, hunting with one group, spent three days with them and went to another Hadza group, went to with the Maasai, who are yeah. famous for eating, you know, blood, meat and milk. Yeah. And then in Uganda, we saw the pygmies, uh, the, they're the Batwa tribe that they've been kicked out of the forest and they used to eat animal foods all the time. And then they were kicked out of the forest and now they're living off of, you know, some beans and rice and whatever they can get their hands on and they're not doing well. So it's crazy how tall the Maasai are. Um, I'm they, six six, and uh, like they are, you know, and athletic. Like, yeah, dude. Awesome. Well, their vertical jump part of their dance is like mm -hmm. that. I mean, we do the Maasai jumps here, you know, within our programming. Mm. But like their, you know, their dance. I mean, dude, this dude's got like standing awesome. ankle flexion, forty inch verticals. It blew me away. I was trying to jump with them. I thought I was athletic, <laughs> and I looked at a video, and it was the saddest thing I've ever seen. I'm like half of what they're doing. So these people. And all the other people, we, you know, we went to villages, cities all around Tanzania and Uganda. Their life revolves around acquiring animal foods, right? This is their goal. This is why they work. This is what they, uh, is like their reward, their treat. Like we got meat today. This is great. And then I come back to the well, U S isn't that how like most of the world evolved? I mean, like you got up and you went to go hunt something to potentially put it on the table and. And then once you ate it, you got to relax a little bit. I mean, this idea of like work hard, I mean, that was probably how we evolved for pretty much up until probably recently. 
that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, people are confused in our modern world because we have the whole foods with the, you know, thousand varieties of plant, of plant foods and cornucopia of fruits. And they just think that this is how it was. And if you think about it for 10 seconds, you realize it's, that's not how it was. And we had to earn our food and that, yeah, it was great to see that in real life. It was great to, to wake me up and, um, yeah, see how people had to actually do things, how much they cared about meat, how much they valued meat and other animal foods, how they ate nose to tail. They picked apart the entire animal, sucking on the bones, sucking the marrow out, sucking the brains. I ate some of the, the brains of this little tick tick animal, you know, these little deer like animals we ate. They opened it first. We had the raw liver, passed it around. You know, everyone gets a little piece of raw liver, cooked it. Uh, it's just quite an experience, really. Amazing. So where, I mean, the, uh, I really, uh, have just like, uh, once text kind of put it on my radar and say, Hey, we're going to have this guy on the podcast. I've started following you on Instagram and I love mm -hmm. the food lies stuff. I mean, I feel like we've been, um, you know, I met Rob Wolf in 2009 mm -hmm. and before that, um, I remember my first year in the NFL, 1999, the guy that did all my nutrition stuff was a guy named Mauro De Pasquale, who was the guy that, uh, did the anabolic diet and you know it was a high protein higher fat you know uh, cycling carbs kind of diet and it was all ancestral and uh i went to berkeley i know you're a ucla guy um, but I, I did a bunch of nutrition science and it was amazing when i met morrow and read his book it was like the opposite side of the spectrum it was juxtaposed to what i was taught at berkeley and it was pretty eye-opening that all of a sudden when i started eating that way like performance went up i got more muscle i mean i just you know just fucking exploded and uh, that's how I ate for the majority of my NFL career. And then at the end, I met Rob Wolf, and he starts talking to me about this thing called the paleo diet. And I'm like, yeah, this, I mean, this is pretty much what we've been doing for years. And it's pretty interesting, like the fights that we've gotten into over the years. And it was, uh, it was killer to go on your, on your page and see you like taking up the mantle of battling these crazy people <laughs> and doing their best to try to like unplug their, uh, from the matrix. I mean, you know, movies like Game Changers, you realize how much money is behind this narrative and to take it full on, uh, dude, I commend you. I'm, I'm stoked to, to, uh, uh to see the interactions. Yeah. I was thinking about it before coming to show that I, it's crazy that I have to take on this almost war to fight for the foods that we always ate. It's, it's a crazy world that that is something that needs to be done and that I have to go on Instagram and battle trolls and I have to be mocked by, you know, mainstream doctors and the media. And it, it, it's, we've just lost our way. Yeah, that's why I started talking about the Africa thing. People need to wake up. Oh, this is what I was saying, Berkeley. I just was going to post something this morning. Go Bears. Berkeley. Go Bears. Berkeley. Well, <laughs> I, I love Berkeley. I, you know, I visited. It's a fun place. But they have a little bit of a, a weird stance on their politics and their health and all that type of stuff. And you, they you don't say. You don't say. <laughs> they just outlawed. They, the city council just out have this plan to outlaw animal products in the next uh, three, 20, by 2024, they're going to spend like half their budget on it. And then they have a long-term plan to phase out all animal products within the city. Mm. Like that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And I was trying to think of an analogy of what, what this is like. And I guess there is some concerns about how animals are raised and I get it, you know, factory farming and especially with chicken and poultry or chicken and pork, it's a bigger problem. All cows spend two thirds of their life on grass, no matter yep. what. And then yes, they go to a feedlot, most of them, but it's like saying we're going to outlaw all doctors 
because some doctors don't practice the right way and some people die from not being responsible from from irresponsible doctors that's what it's like i mean yes we have a few irresponsible players in animal agriculture and yes the system is kind of messed up where we have big money you know making it so we have to have a million chickens in a barn you know those big warehouses of chickens and tyson controls this and it's a big mess and i mean i don't even eat much chicken because it's it's not even that nutritious really yeah and and it's a nervous bird you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh made a great point where he's like, don't eat chicken. It's a nervous bird. Eat steaks. <laughs> and uh, honestly, uh, I've hated chickens. Um, I've only since, like, I'll just give you a little, little bit of a laugh. But, um, yeah. you know, we uh, stay classy. And, uh, dude, I, I was checking out your nose to tail uh, a meat delivery. But we've always been, been big into either purchasing cows from farmers that are locally, uh, you know, local for, you know, environmental impact reasons. But also, you know, help local local uh, agriculture and just support local farming. So it would either that or then just find reputable companies for meat boxes. So my kids have been raised on either things that I've hunted and killed or these bitching cows that like we've gone out and been able to, you know, see them from like cradle to grave and, you know, hang them for 40 days and all this dope meat, uh, all this super high end stuff. So my kids have eaten this for their entire lives and they are like, ah, steak again. Can't we have chicken? And I look at them and I'm like, <laughs> I, uh, so That's, like now we have to work chicken and turkey into our rotation. So we'll do uh, chicken, turkey for proteins. And then uh, one day in a week they get ribs. And then other than that, it's steaks. But uh, they're like so excited for chicken night. And I'm like, I, you guys must have got switched. Who are you? <laughs> I, I was like, a turkey, a big butted bird that makes a big mess. I'm okay with those. But chickens are the worst. Other than if they're the, um, our neighbors have chickens, mm-hmm. um, they are absolute savages. Like they kill everything. They kill snakes. Like they're pretty good in terms of like getting rid of bugs. Like they're valuable within the ecosystem. Yeah. My, my neighbors, eat them. my neighbors, they have a, a coop and then when they set them free to kill all the bugs, they just hop our little three, four foot fence and just chill in my backyard. And I'm not a care in the world. I'm like, Dude, I got better bugs. Eat uh, them up. Yeah. So my neighbor's got a bunch of chickens, but the hilarious part is here in Texas, if you got chickens, uh, you have massive rattlesnakes. So uh-huh. it's killer because all the rattlesnakes stay at my neighbors and they never come down to us because we don't I have didn't chickens. Know that. I'll be on the lookout. Now. Oh, dude. My, we just, uh, my neighbor sent me a picture of like a 12 foot rattlesnake in his what? chicken coop. 12 feet. Mm. He had to call the neighbor kid because he's old to come over and the kid killed it with a shovel and sent me a picture. I'll, I'll pull it up. <laughs> Show notes, everyone. So, dude, where are you based out of? I'm in Austin now. Are you? What? what? We're in Austin. Yeah. Really? Oh, what, well, what part of town then, Brian? I'm just east of downtown. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, uh, we're, we're out west off 71 Hamilton Pool area. Yeah, and then Dripping Springs. Mm, oh, shit, dude. I can't believe oh, we didn't know that. Awesome. We, we could have had done this in person, and then we could have gone on barbecued and gone and fucking meted ourselves to death. We'll have to do that. Next anyway. time. So Next is, time? Yeah, well, when the film comes out. We'll okay. do that when the film Dude, comes out. Uh, yeah, no, we, we'd love to have you. Or, well, well, I don't want to make future plans, but yeah, no, we'll we'll do something here. And uh, yeah. um, man, there's some. Yeah, I'm stoked to see it. So, is there an ETA on when the film's coming in? I know you're still filming it. Well, the, the prob- filming's complete. I'm up on our Indiegogo for the the film. So that's that's what I also want to highlight is people have an opportunity to still get involved. Mm. Am I correct? Yes. Thank. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, we're still on Indiegogo. We're doing it all self funded. So we've not taken on, you know, any sponsors or anything like that. And we're just doing it all for free. Really. I've been working on it for four years for free. Uh, we've been, we work on it every day. Yeah. I mean, I, I have these meetings. I have a great friend. That's a great director. That's also really knowledgeable about this, about this stuff. And 
we are done filming, except we are tacking on some things. We're going to some regenerative ranches. So we're going up to Tulsa tomorrow morning. Actually, I'm waking up at five something AM and getting up to Tulsa. And then we're going to West Texas and filming there. Uh, actually at my new nose of tail ranch out there, I have a whole thing going out there with nose of tail and yeah, we, we are trying to finish it by the end of the year. It's, oh. it's such a process. I don't know. We're rewriting it. We're trying to make this so good. We're trying to go big, get on Netflix. We have a distribution company ready to go on Netflix, go worldwide. We're, you know, custom graphics, custom soundtrack. You know, we're trying to mess with the, the game changers, right? We're trying to, yeah. we got to get to that level. Like, you know, James Cameron with all his pea protein money, pushing all his, you know, vegan nonsense. He's got millions and millions of dollars. It took them oh. five years to make it. But, uh, you know, we're trying to- Billions of dollars. Our own version of that. But uh, the real, the real- Well, uh, are, are, are you going to have any, um, like, I assume you're not going to have any head scratching science, like the one where the guy like- pulls the blood out and spins it down. He's like, well, this is clear and this isn't. And they're like, oh, well, now you can't get a heart on. Like, <laughs> we, I, the, I, we dismantled that fucking movie on this podcast. Uh, I, I actually went and watched it twice, which uh, I want those hours back in my life. But I couldn't believe the amount of preposterous claims and the way that they were able to skin that information to try to create this narrative. It's so, uh, unbelievable. We made a film i took a break from food lies and spent three weeks and we made a film that was the same length as their film film in quotes i put it up on youtube so look it up game changers debunked game changers debunked food lies put that in the search uh we made two versions one with some comedy skits we got sean baker wanted to do some comedy skits with us and like make fun of their stupid experiments like you're talking about yeah and, unbelievable. Uh, so yeah we made that film debunking it all uh, we especially that experiment you know we had uh four people actually one of them dr finn fabulous she's a great strong doctor you should do you know her at all she's amazing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she's on the titan game she's like a beastly powerful doctor uh she ate meat and eggs she ate probably like six seven eggs and some bacon spun her blood and it was clear you know and we had three other people do that and basically how they did that, I'm guessing, is if you eat a, a ton of carbs and a ton of fat together, then you have a ton of energy going through your blood. And it, it could get that, you know, have a lot of fat in the blood because there's just so much energy, especially when you're mixing a ton of carbs and fat. So she was just running off of fat and, you know, a bunch of bacon and eggs. Fine. They were doing it with a vegan burrito, a bunch of carbs, not very low fat. And it was mm -hmm. fine. And so the, the people with the cloudy blood, supposedly this is their own, you know, experiment on their stupid, you know, biased film. But maybe you could if you're eating tons of uh, fat and carbs together temporarily, that might be the case. Well, also, uh, who's to say that the clear blood is any healthier than the, you know, blood that looks a little clouded? Like it, exactly. it just, it, like, All like it's saying yeah. is that there's energy in your blood yeah. at the, for the moment. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, if you have problems chronically, I mean, there's so much more to chronic disease and heart disease and all this stuff. But it just it just says that this person has a lot of energy at the moment. Well, I mean, uh, I spoke at uh, Ancestral Health Symposium. Geez, like, geez, it was in like 2012, uh, 2011, 2012, when it was out at Harvard. And mm -hmm. Chris Masterjohn, over a decade ago, gave an incredible talk on lipoproteins and the idea of like, uh, lipoproteins and triglycerides and the ability for them to like move across and how they affect arteries and how cholesterol works and where you're at danger. And it's like, if you eat a low carb diet and you keep your uh, triglycerides low, uh, cholesterol becomes a non-factor. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the lipoproteins don't have enough, 
ability to, uh, to get across the barrier. I mean, dude, this is, uh, you know, and that was 10 years ago that that piece of, or that he presented that information that it, it's amazing. And I, I was thinking a little bit, uh, before this, you know, we talked about Ansel Keys and that seven country mm-hmm. study, which was completely, uh, you know, since found out that he got given money to vilify, you know, saturated fat instead of big sugar based off of a, you know, sugar lobby. Six months after that study came out, uh, a study was actually released debunking the study, but nobody put any light on it. And then they just proceeded to create this entire market, pharmaceutical market of statins and create this entire narrative that's driven this whole deal. So what's amazing is that it's almost as if people want to glob onto this thing. Like this is the boogeyman. And regardless of whether or not we know truth, this is what we want to believe. That's so true. And we're spelling this out in the film. Basically, what you just said is is a great recap of the middle section of our film, and no, letting people know that it's kind of obvious that big industry and these big food companies and big pharmaceutical companies want this message to continue because they have a ton of money to be made from it. It's simple economics. This is just how businesses work. And once you say that animal foods are bad and fat and cholesterol are bad, then you have to fill the diet with cheap processed foods, which is a huge boon to the food companies. And I mean, it's not even conspiracy theory. I mean, yes, there is. You it's could not a conspiracy to, theory. It's uh, not. It's just simple economics. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it. Uh, so last week I was out in uh, Pennsylvania and I spoke at the War College. I got invited to do a conference on national security. And uh, part of my presentation and the, the my impact was um, uh, the lack of readiness and physical fitness for our population to defend uh, you know, physical threats, mm. and more importantly, the lack of health in our kids coming up, that'll be the next generation for warfighters. And so there was also a doctor there who's, um, um, he develops all the models for the State Department and the government for all the global health initiatives outside the United States. And uh, I asked him, and what his deal was, uh, he felt that the largest threat to national security was America's dependence on pharmaceuticals created outside in India and China. Mm. And he's like, you got to remember that 80% of the drugs that people are taking are, uh, could be fixed with diet and exercise and just better health. That these are all obesity, uh, self-created disease or problems that we're basically dishing out pharmacology for an entire, uh, market that isn't produced or controlled by us. So what happens if all of a sudden those countries cut us off? I mean, it's not like mm. they're type one diabetics that can't get insulin, uh, you know, where they needed a low diet. I mean, these are problems that are self-created. And uh, that was the one that really like kind of blew my mind. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I know we're not fit. I mean, shit, uh, <laughs> you know, 60% of the population isn't fit enough to even be eligible for uh, uh, to, to enter the U.S. military. But this one, that's the one that blew my mind because it's, it, you know, think about, you know, the pharmacology and the dependence on these drugs that we don't even control that are created in other places. That's really interesting. I never thought about that one, but you know, there's this whole COVID thing going on and so it was supposed to wake people up to their health. Didn't, no one talked about how you could, <laughs> you know, fix your health and and be like all my friends who are super healthy and had no problems and all this type of stuff. But if we had this big epidemic problem of we didn't have these pharmaceuticals, what would happen that would be millions of people would have to take their health into their own hands, eat, eat right, exercise, do all these things, and it could be fixed. Theoretically, right? I mean, what if there was a campaign with trillions of dollars like the COVID stuff uh, and it was all put towards letting people know that they didn't need these drugs from all these other countries or drugs in general and that they could just live well naturally? 
Well, the other one, um, I've been, uh, I fucking hate Facebook. It's like okay. such a cesspool. Um, the only reason I have a Facebook is because of Facebook Marketplace and I'm trying to sell some gym equipment. So <laughs> that's why I still got it. Um, and I like buying gym equipment. Um, the interesting thing, one, and I've been going, as I've been delving back into Facebook, the amount of people that are uh, vaccine shaming people. And like this idea of like, you know, you got the president of the United States calling people that aren't vaccinated dummies and you have all like, it's just pretty amazing. And yet, if you were to say to somebody, hey, um, you're, you know, overweight, you're causing all these problems, you're putting yourself at greater risk, you can't shame them. There's no fat shaming. You know, you can't health shame people. It's this uh, idea of like, um, I forgot what the word is. Um, God, Rob Wolf told me it was like health shaming. Where uh, if you're fit, you can't tell people fit shame. Yeah, fit shaming. Yeah, there was you're like fit, you're almost like being ableist. You're, yeah, you're that's a, what it is. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you're an ableist because you're able and you're in good shape. You're shaming other people who aren't. And I'm like, wait a minute. So wait, it's okay to attack people because they don't take a vaccine, right? Um, even though now they just released a CDC release that even vaccinated people have to wear masks. So which kind of lends us to believe that the vaccines don't oh, work for the they, no, they said it i just read this article from yesterday they not only said that they said just that tons of vaccinated people are ending up in the hospital and they're getting it and they spread it just as as much as non-vaccinated people well and it's even more uh that doc that i was i was mentioning earlier said the problem we don't know is we don't know what the long-term effects are on vaccinated people's uh, immune system so he's like, we could potentially see that the vaccinated people have weakened their immune system, which allows more things to, for them to be more susceptible to it. Well, I mean, natural immunity, I have a nurse friend that just said that her colleague did not believe in natural immunity, that this colleague thought that the only way to have immunity was with vaccines. And it's, it, it blew my mind, it blew her mind that vaccines try to mimic, they try to get you know, up to what humans can do with their immune system, right? This is, that's the, what they're based on is that your immune system is a thing that protects you from anything. The immune system is a miracle. Like anything it throws, nature could throw at you. Theoretically, your immune system responds to it. And usually it does, right? And we, we can never develop anything that can get up to that level. Yet people are denying that this miraculous immune system even exists. And that we, this is like the indoctrination that's going on these days. Where, um, I mean, what, I mean, uh, um, we know it's not a fucking, you know, conspiracy theory. It's really, I mean, because it, it's happening in real time. Uh, where do you think this, like, you know, we talked about the pivot. I mean, is it big pharma? Is it big business? I mean, you think about, um, God, I remember seeing the statistic that uh, for the vaccines, you know, the present childhood vaccines that they give, there's like in California, I think you have to be have 84 different vaccines to go to school. And the company they looked at was the one for vaccinating the girls against um um oh uh, hpv yeah hpv so mm -hmm. that company uh was started and had a valuation i forgot it was like a you know a few million bucks mm -hmm. the guy who owns the company is on the board that votes to upload or how to like get the vaccines approved and the day that his vaccine was approved his company did like a thousand the time return and mm -hmm. went from like a few million bucks up to a you know few hundred million dollars and now it's like it's this guaranteed deal and it's like okay so now we're just if you can create a vaccine you can get it on the list i mean it just shows that what you get a thousand percent return on your three million companies now worth 300 million or sorry 100 times yeah so it's uh it, it's pretty i mean you know and people are like oh i don't want to be conspiracy theory i'm like no it's just money 
Uh, that's not conspiracy theory. I mean, if you follow the money in the majority of this stuff, you usually find the right path. It is. And I'm trying to tell people that. And then they just keep calling me a conspiracy theorist. And you know what? I just remembered we, we got off track when I was saying, why did we think meat was bad in the first place? This, this hmm. all ties together that there is big interest and big money in different narratives. And even a narrative that goes against human evolution, right? The simple fact that we can eat whole foods and animal foods and be healthy. That is a, a, a paradigm that makes no one any money. You, you, there's no profit margin in Whole Foods. I mean, I, I'm living proof. I'm, I don't make any money. I have like half of an employee. I can't even start a business because I make so little money off selling grass-fed, grass-finished meat. On Dude, other but hand, you have a dope podcast room. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it's kind of a trade Yeah, I built it myself. I, I, <laughs> I took my like 400 bucks I made and uh, I made this. No, there, there's no money in it, but the profit's in the processing. And you can take cheap corn, wheat, and soy, subsidized by, subsidized by the government, and there's huge problems with how this whole system works to grow that food. And you could take five cents a product and sell it for $5 in a box of cereal, right? And so then they have all this money to do marketing, lobbying, uh, anything, doing, funding the studies, right? So why do, you, why do we think we have this system? It's because there's so much money in this system and there's so much money in processing foods. It's pea protein. James Cameron invested $170 million in the pea protein because that's big money. You can take a cheap pea, it's probably not even, it's like the waste products probably that, you know, oh, I guess the pea, you need the protein from the pea, but you could probably reuse, sell the waste products to someone else and do something else with it. Uh, huge profit margin. And so that goes back to why we thought meat was bad in the first place. And we kind of well, left have you ever tried? Have you ever tried pea pro, uh, protein? I've only had it once and I felt really sick actually, like my uh, stomach hurt. I tried to take pea protein. I tried it for a month. I made it two weeks, and the stomach gastro problems that I was having were like epic. So much so, I gave it to Tex. And you haven't had any issues with it, right? Nope. Well, it's free. I don't have any problems with free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought this big tub, and uh, I came to the conclusion the reason that these people are so insane is because it they tastes. feel well, the taste, and they feel <laughs> so awful. And they, they just smell like sick animals farting all the time. So I'm like, maybe they're just sad, stinky people with gastro, uh, you know, gastro, you know, pressure yeah, I, problems. Yeah. They want you in on their, their misery party and they think they're doing it for the animals. And, and you can debunk all of the animal stuff that, that that will be done in the film. That's a huge section. The last section of the film debunking all the animal stuff. But just to finish off that one thought, why we thought meat was bad in the first place. It's just such an interesting story how even before the Ansel Keys stuff, these big interests were getting involved, or I think there is a little bit of a, quote, conspiracy stuff going on when you, when you ask why did we start demonizing meat because there's nothing wrong with meat. Where did you, uh, I mean, we're referencing Ansel Keys 1959, but where do you think it started before that? Well, I think it started with the Seventh-day Adventists. So if you've, anyone's mm -hmm. heard about this group, they're a religious mm -hmm. group. They started in the late 1800s in the U.S. And there was a woman, Ellen G. White, and she had visions. And this was actually around the time when women were trying to get the right to vote. And, you know, they were to get rights in general. They were beaten by their husbands. And it was like perfectly OK to do that. Right. So this is sort of a bad time in history. There's also a lot of alcohol abuse. And it kind of makes sense where they didn't have a lot of science back then. Ellen G. White specifically believed that red meat was making men violent and angry. And they just didn't have the science. I mean, maybe it was the alcohol. Maybe it was that, you know, we had just 
poor rights for people back then. But she had this idea that men became angry from red meat. It's like this primal thing. It's like eating red meat, you know, and she was had this religious idea that it was bad and she had visions and she thought we should go back to the Garden of Eden diet which was supposedly just fruits and vegetables and grains. And we all lived happily in this garden of Eden. So that's where it started. John Harvey Kellogg got involved yeah. in it uh, years later. And everyone knows his, you know, big cereal empire and all this stuff. And, you know, it's still pushing a lot of this information and funding a lot of this research, getting all this dietetics information, this plant-based stuff is still being pushed by the Seventh-day Adventist groups, especially in Australia and other parts of the world. It's crazy when you get into it. Yeah, there was, um, God, I can't remember exactly. I think it was the cream of wheat or uh, Wheaties or something. Was well, cornflakes. Yeah, it was cornflakes to stop yeah. uh, masturbation. Yep. They felt that. <laughs> tubing. Yeah. Fucking tubing. Stop no, eating those. It, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, we, we talked about it yesterday, and I, I wrote a blog post on this years ago where I looked at a bunch of research, and it turned that um, there was a direct correlation between people's you know perception and really just like if they were, you know, good, nice, whatever, and testosterone levels, the higher the testosterone level, usually the more agreeable, helpful, and uh, just more confident individual was. And so in it, I was like, well, when you deal with trolls and a bunch of fucking sour, uh, toxic people, you got to pity them because it's got low testosterone levels. So I'm wondering if, um, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, because, you know, you want to have a shitty androgen profile, eat a diet low in saturated fat and low in cholesterol. And you end up with a really crappy androgen profile because you don't have the building blocks that you need to effectively build testosterone. You know, you need zinc, magnesium, iron, uh, you know, and a bunch of other minerals to effectively make it. And, and so my thought was, you know, you eat a shitty diet, you become more bitter, more angry, low testosterone levels. And that's, that's what they were trying to push back in the day. The Kellogg's, they had the sanitarium. And I think it was exactly that. I think it's a little bit of the misery loves company thing you're mentioning, but yeah, they had these diets. They, they wanted, they thought these plain diets and, you know, pure equals plain would heal people or make people more pure or make them less violent and stuff. And they would go to these retreats. It was actually very popular in the early 1900s to go to the, this sanitarium. I think it was in battle Creek, Michigan. And they would do these like detoxes and cleanses and they would just not eat animal foods and yeah, probably just, lower their testosterone and become just more feminine. I don't know. So did you know that um, uh, when people abstain from eating meat and just eat vegetables, they're more susceptible to information and more like hurting. So if you look at cults, I took a class on cults in, at Berkeley. It was a summer class. And one of the fundamental things is actually vegetarian diets because when you remove meat from people, they become easier to cull and just easier to move into groups and they're, they're open to suggestion. So like uh, if you go to Tony Robbins, like retreats, all vegetables, if you look at like all these different, you know, death cults where, you know, like the, um, uh, the one down in San Diego when they committed suicide, when Haley's Comet came, all vegans, all vegetarians. Mm. So there's a very real changing in the blood chemistry when you all of a sudden remove animal products and saturated fat and meat and makes people just easier to control, which if you think about a master plan, and uh, we're not conspiracy theorists here. Mm -hmm. This is fucking really happening, so it can't be a theory. Um, I think if you're going to govern 330 million people, there's a few ways you do it. I mean, look at you know every dystopian movie. Look at Animal Farm. Look at you know um, you know uh, Brave New World. I mean George Orwell, 1984. You have to be able to move the population in such a way and get them to you know. And they use social media, and if you make people more agreeable and you're able to vilify this stuff 
then just by default, you're open to suggestion. I'm I'm with you. I'm a conspiracy realist. I Ooh, have people I like that. <laughs> people posting so that this exact notion you're talking about, people post uh, comments on my social media every day about this type of stuff. Dude, like, if you need help, just tap me in at John Wellborn. <laughs> I will get in there, and then I'll tap Rob Wolf in, and we'll get in there and fucking battle these people. I would love. Well, no, I I have people also on the on the good side that are pointing this out. I don't want to point out the stuff, the conspiracy realist stuff that we're you know being. This is part of a plan to make people, you know, more like sheep and that let's control the food system, control the people, give them process trash. But people, what I'm saying is that there's a lot of people clued into this stuff and are, are, are letting people know in my comment threads a lot. Just like this is this is it. This is how you control people. Uh, I posted a pretty interesting piece. This was probably like a year or two ago. Um, and I can't remember the book I read, but this guy went through and he, he's like, you know, I'm agnostic. I'm not a, you know, a fan, like I'm not a supporter of any diet, but if we're just going to look at the research, if, if, uh, you know, the vegan approach or the vegetarian approach is about reducing, um, you know, death and more importantly, like the least cruel disease or a uh, uh, diet, because a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, once you basically debunk the fact that it's, um, not healthy. Mm -hmm. then the next pivot is it's more ethical. So if you notice, like the vegetarians and the vegans always have this multiple thing. They want to hit you with science. When you disprove the science, then they go to ethics, and this is more moral. You know, I'm going to take this moral high ground, which is Shift hard to dismantle. Post. Yeah, Shift the goalposts. Yes. And, and they do this pivot over and over again. Uh, the problem is, is when, and this is the thing that I posted, the guy went through and he's like, well, let's analyze the diet that's least impactful and the least violent death for animals. And he's like, uh, it would be a diet of pasture-raised meat. And he went through this whole thing. I mean, just the amount of death. And it was cool because one of the guys that follows us, uh, Cowboy. Block one coach. Or there's, there's yeah, multiple. He, yeah, yeah. Uh, our farmers. And the guy's mm -hmm. like, uh, when I go out and I, uh, you know, run my, you know, machine down and basically pull all the, you know, do all, I think it's beans and a few other things. He goes, so we have these huge combines that go through that dig it up. He goes, when I get to the end of the row, I have to pick out hundreds of dead animals because that's their food source. It's deer, it's everything. And he goes, just the, the death and mayhem that it takes to produce this diet that these people believe is moral high ground because they're not actually eating the animal, but the second and third effect, he goes, it's by far the most blood-soaked diet. And so I posted this. These vegans absolutely lost their fucking mind because the one thing they don't want to deal with is realize that, the, that what they're doing is way more destructive and way more violent and uh, just like death blood soaking than what they're led to believe. This is going in the film. I love this. I have a great friend who's in the film. There's a YouTube video on the Food Lies channel, Terracature, Healing the Land While Healing Yourself. She lays out the scenario. She says, you're looking at a oatmeal or a salad. It's death on a plate. There's just no blood. And people, the vegans, they try to opt out of the system. They try to remove themselves from this death. I mean, there's a whole other theory of like why they're trying to do this trauma in the past, you know, what their, what their, you know, mindset is about this. But I think it's, it's really sad that they think that they can opt out of this system of death just by not eating an animal and which is the direct death, but you cannot ignore all the death that comes from growing your plant foods. And there's studies out of Australia showing the vast number, 25 times as many uh, rodents die to produce the same amount of, you know, if you're going gra grain compared to meat. We can look at, uh, I have, yeah, we're putting all this in the film because we have to attack this 
ethical component because people they think that they have the trump card they're like well i don't like to kill animals and we're kind of like well you're killing more animals sorry and there's deaths from actually being ground up in combines like you said there's death there's ecosystems death just to create monocrop agriculture we have to get rid of the there's pesticides runoff there is death everywhere even when they i talked to another great australian farmer when he clears a field he does plants and animals when he clears a field of wheat or something there are thousands and thousands of starving animals weeks days and weeks after so not just what's you know chopped up but their whole food source is gone you took yeah. it all away and now they just starve to death slowly so vegans really uh, don't like to address this stuff well i mean the, the also too um i mean think about like uh you know I mean, the, the, my, my other favorite one, I keep seeing people is like, you need to check your privilege. And it's uh, like, I fucking love that one. I have never met a higher level of privilege than the vegetarians and the vegans. So what you're saying is that we live in such an evolved, such a rich society that you can basically askew uh, a food source that is fundamental to not only growth and survival. I mean, we didn't uh, evolved to eat meat. We evolved because we ate meat. I mean, if you look at like some of the, um, and you were talking about, you know, like when we diverged to monkeys, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, from Berkeley to Andy and Artie studies and like all that research. I mean, what was pretty amazing is that the first bipedals that they found, uh, were, you know, the, uh, you know, found with, uh, you know, fruit bat droppings. So, I mean, we always thought that they were on the plains for the most part, they were also in forests, so why did they stand up? I mean, the thought was always like, stand up to see danger. Uh, mm -hmm. It was, you know, so I mean, there's some really interesting stuff, but like, you know, and then people are like, oh, well, they were down at the seashore, so then they were with DHA, and they were eating things out of the sea. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these are confounding, but for the most part, like, we didn't evolve to eat meat, we evolved because we ate meat. They started eating meat, the, the stomach shrunk, the brain grew, and for the most part, here we are millions of years later, arguing and belaboring points that like don't need to be argued and belabored because that is within our evolutionary science. And I think if you don't use, um, you know, at least a little evolutionary biology on this stuff, you just sound like a fucking crazy person. Um, you know, like, I mean, you're obviously familiar with Dr. Michael Rose's work. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, he had him on your, your oh, podcast, dude. It's uh, amazing. We're actually going to interview him soon. Be, we keep tacking on things, but we need one little piece of information from him. Yeah. And he's an aging expert did some great studies for decades. He also is 65 and looks like he's 40. Dude, uh, the first time I heard him talk, I yeah. was like, how old is this dude? And I looked and was like, there's no way. Uh, the other one, which kind of blows my mind, uh, he's one of the smartest dudes on the planet. When they look at evolutionary uh, biology, there's like pre and post Michael Rose. <laughs> I mean, he like, uh, I remember Rob Wolf made a point where he's like, you know, uh, that dude's the smartest dude in every room. And I've heard <laughs> some guys like Matt wow. Lalonde uh, and some other really smart people say the same thing, Chris Master John, uh, that Michael Rose and um, you know his anti-aging stuff with like the fruit flies is so amazing. The idea that all of a sudden health goes to a certain point and then at some point they have to return to their ancestral diet to continue their lives. I mean, makes so much sense. Um, I almost wonder if this stuff makes too much sense to people that are just hoping to live in a like alternate reality. Mm. I don't know, but when I learned his stuff, my takeaway from him, it made so much sense to me because I brought up the beginning where people think when you're 30, your metabolism slows down. What I took away from his work, and, and he talks a lot about, is it's, it's almost the opposite. It's when you turn 30, you are more 
you are less able to eat the modern diet and you have to rely more on your ancestral diet. That's what it is. It's, it's kind of opposite paradigm of what we think. And that's why people go downhill. That's your metabolism doesn't slow down. You know, there's like fit 80 year olds that just, it's not like they have a slow metabolism. It's they're probably eating their appropriate diet and that you just have to rely more on appropriate diet. And this is another thing that I think is what's going on with APOE4 and Alzheimer's is these people with who are getting more Alzheimer's with APOE4 gene, it's not the Alzheimer's gene. What it is, is these people are less attuned to the modern diet because it's the most mm. ancient allele. It's the most ancient genotype. And so they have to eat more ancestral foods, but in the modern society, no one does. So these people are more susceptible to the modern diet, right? So the, the refined grains and sugars and seed oils and all this stuff. So that's why they're getting more Alzheimer's because they're just less adapted to this absurd processed diet. Um, yeah, I know Alzheimer's, some people were referring it almost as diabetes type yeah. three. No, um, oh yeah. Yeah, it was diabetes, yeah. It's yeah, in the diabetes. literature now that they're calling it type three diabetes. Yeah, many scientists talk, it's insulin resistance of the brain, basically. Yeah. The, uh, the interesting thing, and they, they made some, there was a study and uh, man, I'm, I'm pulling this out, but they observed that uh, the majority of people that were getting Alzheimer's were thin. So the problem was the fat people were getting type two diabetes and the people that ate that way that were still thin, it ended up becoming oh, Alzheimer's right. and that's where they were calling it type three diabetes. Mm. And uh, I thought that, I mean, that's, I don't remember if it was just observational or what, but it just seemed to be something where they're like, if uh, your standard diet doesn't result in you developing type two diabetes, then something else happens a little farther down and you know, and that's a degeneration. That's a big one too. People call it TOFI, fit on the outside, fat on the inside, so that, that thin people can have problems too. There's visceral fat. There's, uh, yeah, just lack sarcopenia, lack of muscle mass. And that it's really about the fat cells. Different people have different genetics and different fat cells. So some people can, their fat cells can expand and they can get fatter and still be okay. Or they'll get fat and then get type 2 diabetes. Some people, they, they will remain thin, but they'll still have the insulin problems just because their fat cells cannot multiply or get fatter. And then they end up, yes, with the type three diabetes or other problems. It's like, why do people in Asia have more strokes? They, people are like, oh, they're thin. You know, the Japanese or Indian people are relatively thin, but they're still getting, they're still dying of tons of other things. And so that's explains it. Uh Let's get into, uh, um, you know, you have the sapien diet. Let's get into the sapien diet. I mean, obviously it's following an ancestral model, but uh, for the listeners and the people, um, I'm kind of interested to dig in on that piece and more importantly, food recommendations and how you skin it and how you attack it. Yeah. So I started just from first principles, like that kind of engineering approach. So it's, it's, a, it's a framework, really. I think many good diets can exist, and I'm just calling those the sapien diets or sapien framework. Paleo can fit, carnivore keto versions of those three can fit and even pescatarian right if if you have a lot of you know fish or you're vegetarian and get enough eggs and chicken or whatever you're okay with eating you can do okay but really to me it's taking the best of all worlds right and and not being dogmatic about one thing it's just let's just look at what the science says what the clinical evidence says what evolution says and that's what humans should eat it's so simple what should humans eat and I think that's animal based. It's whole foods. It's maybe not eating all so often, you know, and just avoiding the processed foods. So that's like the general view of it. And it's, it's just kind of the opposite of this idea of the, the plant based diets. It's, it's actually when you look at bioavailability of nutrients 
animal foods is where you should be. So I get most of my calories from animal foods. And then I have plant foods, the least toxic plant foods. So, you know, I don't know if people know about anti-nutrients or if you've covered it on your show, but there's a lot of things in plants that uh, block nutrient absorption. Plants don't want to be eaten. They put out chemicals, oxalates, phytates, lectins, gluten, you know, all these things are kind of their defense systems and they do bind with nutrients and you cannot absorb them. So plant foods are fine if you can tolerate them, uh, but they're, they're more of a, a side dish. I found they're more of a fallback food. If you look through literature or just even going through Africa, you know, and seeing what they ate, it's like, yeah, we ate these tubers or the, you know, we picked some leaves cause we couldn't find the meat and, and yeah. it's not bad. We're omnivores. I mean, we, we have a digestive system that can handle plant foods, but it's actually more developed and optimized for animal foods. So yeah, that's, that, that's kind of a high level view. Uh, if you're looking more practical, I have found, I work with people I, at Sapien with Dr. Gary, uh, in Los Angeles. And we just work with patients. We reverse type two diabetes, do all this type of stuff, work with people online and what, and what myself, what always seems to work is just d double your protein, right? Just it's cut out sugar, refined grains and seed oils and eat twice a day. Not saying that everyone has to do it, but if you, if you kind of do that, you're embracing fat, you're eating a lot of animal protein. You have some side dishes of avocado, mushrooms, onions. I don't know, like just simple, uh, fermented foods and you eat twice a day. If you, you want to lose weight, if you want to gain weight, then, you know, eat more times if you want, but or gain muscle. Uh, and, and it just, it just seems to work. And there's a lot of signs on why that works but why uh, yeah. i mean like a, a little bit of moderate fasting i mean twice a day uh, you know you're giving yourself a smaller calorie window to consume so it's kind of a yep. backing into a little bit of caloric restriction that part too yeah people tend to eat less and they eat in a smaller eating window and you you can have some of those benefits of fasting you know people talk about autophagy and just giving your gut a break you know cellular cleanup is autophagy uh so there's a lot to it and yeah, I, I did think carb cycling, carb refeeds. I think you, you mentioned that uh, earlier that that's, uh, I think that's powerful too, especially if you're working out and I, I kind of landed on this. I pitch it every time I do a podcast, I pitch it to the really smart people. I pitch it to Rob Wolf. I pitch it to, you know, Dr. Ben Bickman or these real sciencey smart doctors. And I, I say, okay, I'm base. I'm eating twice a day. Lunch is high fat, right? I'm not, I, I'm staying in longevity. I call it longevity mode. I'm going to be in longevity mode for 21 hours a day. I'm not, you know, I'm not eating at night all night. I'm not eating breakfast. I'm eating sort of this like keto ratio lunch still. I'm, you know, longevity mode. I'm not spiking my insulin. I'm not spiking mTOR, IGF one, not spiking these things. Then I do a workout, whatever, 7 PM. Then I eat a meal with more protein, some carbs, whole food carbs. This is my growth mode, right? I'm, I'm stimulating my muscles. I'm telling them to get bigger. I'm you know, let's go into growth mode for those three hours, but it's not forever, right? It's this balance. So this is what I've landed on as like the ultimate diet. And it's, it's like my version of sapien is I'm eating ancestrally appropriate foods. I'm getting most of my cows from animals. I'm staying in longevity mode for 21 hours a day and I'm working out and I'm doing brief intense exercise. I just like to do, you know, more to failure stuff and I'm getting great results and I am not just always signaling to my body to be in that growth mode 
because I don't know if you guys know, like David Sinclair, some of these researchers that are supposedly mm -hmm. the, you know, the foremost authorities on aging. The problem is they're all, they have this plant-based spin and they think that it's bad to eat meat because it raises mTOR or IGF-1 and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I'm saying, but, but lifting weights raises mTOR. I mean, um, yeah. and, and especially when we get into this whole deal with autophagy, which I think is hilarious with the fasting, the best form of autophagy is exercise. So I always think like if you're trying to get autophagy from starving yourself, go bust your ass in the gym. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like the health benefits associated with lifting weights, I mean, you were talking about, you know, training to failure. You can't put on muscle without mechanical failure. I mean, this is how it works. I mean, it's either some form of progressive overload where you're loading it up so heavy that you can only do a few or you're taking a weight out. I mean, it's uh, like the science is pretty conclusive. Like if you want to put on muscle, you have to understand something about mechanical failure and training to failure. Now, you don't have to do it every fucking set, but you got to do it at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so it, it makes sense. I mean, I like when I looked at all the, I mean, this was probably 10 years ago when I looked at all the research on fasting, the one thing was pretty clear. Um, fasting's not magic, even though people love to create magic around diets and fasting and all these things and it raises growth hormone and it does all that. Like it was negligible. Um, but the one thing that was really interesting is it just gave people a smaller window, which allowed for caloric restriction because most people can't control what they eat. So just give them a smaller window. And when calories were equated for fasting versus people eating over long, the results were very, very similar. So like my whole deal, and I've always, uh, I, I try to fast at least one time a day and there's certain points in the, in the year where I'm like, fuck, I just don't want to eat. I'll eat a smaller window just to kind of reduce the amount mm -hmm. of just load. But, um, for the most part, like, and you're pretty right. Like, um, I did a consult recently for a guy who, uh, um, was looking for a diet that allowed him to follow like a ketogenic approach, but he didn't necessarily want to have to worry about what he was eating. But he wanted to lose weight. It was a really, really strange deal. I'm glad the guy paid me and I could get off the phone quickly. I was mm -hmm. like, yo, man, go to the butcher and I want you to get two 40-ounce tomahawk ribeyes. And I want you to cook them twice a day. And I want you to eat the entire thing. And if you have any room left in your stomach, you can eat whatever. You know, We'll backfill with whatever. Just make sure you eat those. We'll pretty much back into your protein, protein satiating. You'll be so full that you want to eat anything more. I guarantee just eating those two if you just want to be a lazy ass, you don't want to track macros, you don't want to do anything, just eat both of those and let me know how you do it. Hit me back and you can book another consult. And uh, who knows if the guy will do it, but it's like people don't want to do the prep work. They don't want to do the leg work. They don't want to look at this. So it's almost easier just to give them like a small fasting window and be like, gorge yourself because you can only eat so much. Like you can't eat, you know, two 2,000, well, at least I can. Like I couldn't sit down and eat a 2,000 calorie meal, you know multiple times a day, but I could cut that 4,000 calories into, you know, 600 calorie meals pretty easy over the course of the, you know, 12, 14 hours, 16 hours. And I think it's a great strategy. Yeah. Most people need to lose weight and if you shorten, shorten their window and they'll do that. And yeah, protein is the magic proteins, magic, really just tell anyone, anyone to do that. I mean, I know a woman who lost half her body weight. She was 280. 11 months, she went down to 140. Looks like a different person just by doing kind of what you said. She just would crush meat a couple times a day. Yeah, the um, uh, I did a talk. Uh, what, what was the one uh, we did metabolic flexibility at the NSCA? NSCA Coaches Conference. Yeah, yeah. at the Coaches Conference. Um, I remember when, like, the, when I first heard about metabolic flexibility, I thought this idea of like your ability to use both fats and carbs mm -hmm. for energy sources uh, was like going to somehow be the, uh, like the, the road to trying to find them, you know, the perfect human diet. And after years of looking at this, I finally like 
went and pulled all the research that I had collected and it came down to like actually um, body fat. So the leaner you are, the more metabolically flexible you are. And it's pretty interesting to hear Mark Sisson and he was on Joe Rogan and kind of butchered it not well. Uh, but it comes down to uh, the leaner you are regardless of diet, however you get there, allows you to be the most metabolically flexible. Like so the you know, fat's oxidative, the more fat you have, the least metabolically flexible you are. So it's pretty interesting that people are like, Oh, I'm I'm doing this to create metabolic flexibility. I'm like, the only way you create metabolic flexibility is to get your body fat as low as possible and carry the highest amount of muscle. Because you know, the muscle is insulin sensitive, low body fat, uh, you know, you're re- reducing all that oxidative nature of fat. And so that was a pretty interesting one, but the one thing that's universally true is it's extremely difficult, almost near impossible, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that'll argue, um, to carry a high amount of, mu- of lean body mass and a low amount of body fat on a low-protein diet. That's Yeah, that's the one thing you, no one should do, and I, that is interesting. That's, I like that take on it. It's a little, it's, I like when it's diet agnostic, and it, you, know, you, you can be metabolically flexible, maybe unless you're one of these low protein, high starch, vegan type people that uh, are only eating carbs, right? They're like whole diets, carbs, and they can't handle fat. But yes, being metabolically flexible, I think is the ultimate goal. And you can get there in different ways. And a lot of people just can't even burn fat. They, you know, they just don't, they're so used to just burning carbs all day uh, that they can't burn fat. But you're right. Yeah. The the muscle soaks up all the, all the glycogen and all that, uh, so then you can start burning fat again. So I like that. So if, uh, so you're obviously doing food lies. I mean, you're, you're doing your Instagram, you got the movie, uh, you have, um, you know, like you're doing the sapien deal and then the nose to tail, uh, get into that a little bit. Cause I'm fascinated with regenerative farming and more importantly, like just finding a way to streamline the process of getting from the farm to the consumer. So I, I yeah. Mean, yeah, nose to tail.org. So that that's that was my idea. So after a couple of years, I was like, I didn't want to take on podcast sponsors. So I was just like, I'll sponsor it myself. I teamed up with some great ranchers in Texas and we just get meat out to people. And I think that is the solution. Uh, you know, like we're talking about the vegan arguments. You said, okay, once you break down the nutrition argument, then they'll move it to the ethics. Okay. Then we just broke down the ethics argument. So now their last hope is the environmental argument. So that's kind of how the film ends. Uh, love to talk about that for a second. Part of you know, the idea of eating nose to tail and just regenerative ag in general is that this is the solution, right? People are talking about, it's really a war. It's not a war against plants versus animals. It's a war against industrial agriculture versus regenerative agriculture, right? And that's how we're, we need to like reposition that argument. You can't just say meat is bad. You know, Berkeley can't just say, oh, we're not gonna have meat in our city anymore. That doesn't make any sense. That's the whole point I made with the analogy with the doctors. Doctors are fine if they do things correctly. We need doctors. We just need them to do the process correctly. And so the process correctly is regenerative ag, right? This is the system that we need to move to. It's not going to happen overnight, but we need to grow plants and animals together. There's all kinds of um, regenerative methods, holistic management, no-till farming. You can get into all this. Uh, We're trying to include Alan Saver in the film. He has a great famous TED Talk he did about reversing desertification with animals you know the the world is having problems uh, especially in other countries where the the land is turning into desert and animals will reverse that process we need them so that's yeah kind of my my future plan uh, you know after the film after all this stuff you know what i want to 
continue to do is, I guess, spread the word about this, make content about it, whatever it is, is because I think that is the future when people talk about, oh, how are we going to feed the world? Well, how are you going to feed the world is we're going to use regenerative methods. You can't feed the world the way we're going, right? No. You can't feed the world with pea protein. Pea, like these things take from the soil. Just think about it from the simplest third grade perspective. Plants take from the soil. They take nutrients. Unless you put fossil fuel inputs back in, you can try to put fake fertilizers. But inherently, plants take from the soil. Animals give back to the soil. Yeah. They give back manure and all this stuff. It's a part of a cycle. So it's like animal agriculture, unless you're you know, sticking them in a feedlot uh, on, on mud instead of grass, uh, which actually only happens for a couple months of the life. Yeah, Most no, cattle well, you just got to fatten them up at the very end so that yeah, they, they get actually grade like, up. Yeah. yeah. But... It, they still spend the first two thirds of their life on grass. But if you have animals on grass, they're, they are part of a regenerative system that has been going on for hundreds of thousands, millions of years. And yeah, that's, that's what we need to do. Did you interview uh, Peter Ballerstead? I did. I did. He's in the yeah. film, went to Joel Salatin. People, mm -hmm. He's kind of a famous regenerative rancher. Yeah. Polyface um, Farms. Yeah. Yeah, no, we we had uh, uh, Ballerstead on years ago, and uh, that was probably one of the most impactful uh, podcasts that I had done, um, just for the fact that, you know, because um, I had kind of always subscribed to this kind of, uh, you know, like grass-fed, uh, you know, sustainably raised this, and like kind of this, you know, drew a line in the sand versus the stuff that you see under the cellophane mm -hmm. at the grocery store. And uh, he was like, well, like, and kind of broke down that barrier a little bit and was like, mm -hmm. if you can... You know, but I, you know, like the difference is pretty negligible, like you said, because for the most part, uh, the animals have to be raised. There's no way to fiscally raise them, not, you know, their rudiments. Where is that right? Ruminants, ruminants. yeah. Well, ruminants. They, there's a cat. Yeah, ruminants, they, yeah. Yeah, they have to be able to graze. I fuck it up. I always put a D in there, don't I? Every time. Yeah, rudi <laughs> rudimentary. Ru ru it's rudimentary yeah. science. No. <laughs> rudimentary science, ruminants. Yeah. It's a cow calf operation. They, they have to, the, the calf has to be with the mother cow. On like just, just how it works, and then yeah. from the cow calf operation, some can stay on grass, and then most just go to the feedlot to be fattened up quickly. But yeah. Well, the the other one too is you need to have these animals that are these grazing animals, and then like the symbiotic relationship of ground nesting birds going through and breaking up. Like um, we have a bunch of acreage here, and my neighbor turns out our horses in our pasture, who horses shit everywhere, and then the, when they do, there's like thousands of birds descend upon the pastures. And basically what they do is they rip up all the poop and they go through and they pick out all the worms and the bugs. And it's pretty amazing just to see uh, and just like the health of our pastures. And then I drag a harrow and I'll break it all up. And then mm -hmm. we hit it with water and seed. And dude, all of a sudden we have this like veritable forest that takes me five hours to mow. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's pretty interesting to see like the health of the land has dramatically increased once we started turning all the horses out. Now, I mean, horses will, you know, kind of destroy stuff. So you, we kind of cycle back and forth. They'll come for like a month and then they give me two weeks off. And um, it's great. I mean, I, I don't have to mow as often because I eat it all. And it also helps my neighbor cut her uh, hay bills by a third over the course of a year. So mm. it kind of works in that symbiotic relationship. But uh, That's what nature's all about. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and it, I mean, it makes total sense. Um, is it like in, in uh, uh, like... I think what's hard is um, we're already bought in on this. I've been bought in on this my entire life. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's hard for me to see 
like I, I always think to, you know, I was a rhetoric major at Berkeley and a big part of that was argument. And when you're dealing with people and especially formulating arguments, it's really beneficial to put yourself in the shoes of the other, mm. to have a little, uh, you know, empathy, empathy yeah. and like put yourself in the position of the other person arguing so that if you understand their position, then it allows you to make a more effective argument. So it's something I've always prided myself on is being able to like, all right, I can see where the, you know, this person's standing on this shore. I'm going to put myself in their position, look over here, and then I'm going to figure out how to fucking destroy mm -hmm. them. Um, mm -hmm. The problem that I run into with this is it's a bridge too far. Like, I can't even see their shore. I can't even understand their argument. Like, uh, um, especially when you start talking about health, it's not. Uh, you talk about ethical, it's not. The only other one is religious. So the uh, guy I met this weekend who was Indian, um, Punjabi, they're vegetarians by their religion. And when I asked him about it, he's like, I'm a vegetarian, but that's how I was raised. This is part of our religion. Uh, does meat smell good when they cook it and all this? He goes, yeah, but you know, I made this mm. commitment as a kid and this is how I was raised. And I was like, I respect that. Like if, if this is how, you know, your religion lays out now, why would a religion choose for you to do this? You know, we can talk about being more docile and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, but like that's a hard one to argue against. So I'm like, hey, if that's your position on religion, who am I to say that you know your imaginary friend is better than my imaginary friend? Um, which is really what I think like about religion. It's like believing in imaginary friends, right? Like my imaginary friend might be cooler than your imaginary friend. But like when you get into this argument, and maybe you've thought about this, like I can't even stand on their shore. Like I'm looking back and I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense to me. It doesn't. We try in the film. It's, it's a good technique, like you said, to get into their shoes. And, you know, I think there's trauma in the past of people like other than the religious part, which is its own thing. The, the only other people I see that are really into this anti-meat agenda, like vegan stuff, they seem to be sort of broken and they are trying to protect the animals as like something that they can do. Like this is our one way to have control in the world is to protect other people because they can't you know, maybe they didn't have protection themselves. So yeah, you, and you can't argue with them. And, and I, yeah, I don't really have a way to get into their heads on that, but that's the one thing that I found that kind of makes sense to me. And then maybe you can start getting in their head on, okay. So they're, they're just, they're just so into this notion that they're not going to change their mind. And a lot of them will even admit they're like, I know it's not as healthy. I know that meat is actually nutritious. I know that animals have to die, but I still believe in this. And then you're just, I'm just like, okay, well, we're done here, I guess. Do your thing. Well, the other one, um, they've never found a hunter-gatherer tribe that was vegetarian. I mean, they've, they've always been omnivores, opportunistic. I mean, you talked about the Maasai live on a diet of uh, meat and a mixture of this kind of porridge made of blood and milk. Uh, and those dudes are not only in phenomenal shape, super healthy hunters, and they, they had a deal where as those guys kind of transition out, like I think they go from being hunters to, you know, when they're old, they're not alone, you know, they basically kick them out of like the hunting groups. Mm -hmm. And those guys go eat a more traditional, I guess you could say like more like not that diet. And like all of a sudden they have many of the problems that we're encountering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, like that's a pretty fascinating one. When these guys are young, they eat this diet, they hunt, they're super fit. And then all of a sudden they like retire them to some hut and let them eat a bunch of grains. And then it, fucking and you know the, their expiration date happens really quickly that's what i see that's what i saw in africa that the people they're not living as long and the older people that remain some people do remain on the traditional diets and they are still doing well 
and they are noticing that the younger people they do rely on a lot of grains out there and you know this new corn you know grains are coming in uh, cornmeal and they're getting the seed oils too i don't know how far down the seed oil rabbit hole you've gone down to but it seems like you know an even bigger problem and oh yeah i can recommend some great guests on seed oils actually i'm going to the ancestral health symposium in two weeks uh you yeah you mentioned and chris master john's there all the cool people are there um but yeah no it's uh um I'll tell you, it, it was super cool to get up there and speak, and I've always, uh, like, like, I always watch it. Um, is it know. always at Harvard? No, it rotates. At UCLA this, yeah. this time. Ah, yeah, cool. So the first time I went was at UCLA years ago, and then it's, you know, it kind of rotates. It was in Colorado. It's at different places. Uh, I always tend to either, um, because I spoke, like, I'm still on their mailing list, and they alum, mm-hmm. they'll let us kind of zoom in, and so I get to watch a bunch of the stuff, but it's always super impactful. Um, the only issue I run into, and uh, this was the one that Lalonde talked about years ago, uh, if you know something like the paleo diet and this ancestral approach are, is really to be taken seriously, people are going to have to like get out of the uh, uh, folklore and like the you know anthropology aspect and actually start testing it and say, hey, mm-hmm. you know what, like this is working. I mean, what we're seeing happening in the clinics, and uh, you know, Rob Wolf did his great deal uh, with the Reno, the the wrist retention where they put these guys into just uh, a little bit of strength training, had them eat a paleo diet, and they reduced their, you know, like uh, the budget by like $30 million in health. And it was, I mean, that type of stuff where you're showing real world results. Um, The problem is, you know, you have dudes show up in loincloths, you know, like, uh, and it's just like, ah, it just gets into this ridiculous. It's kind of like paleo FX here, uh, you know, where it just gets into this, like, just... Can we just go and be bouncers? No, like turn them out. And just be like, well, no, I mean, not but, helping. Uh, well, no, it, it's uh, it makes it look like a circus, and it takes away from the legitimate nature of this. And uh, it's so easy. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Capital City riots, where like the dude with the the bullhorns and like mm, you yeah, know yeah. With the, uh, the shaman, the QAnon shaman dude. <laughs> like I'm looking at this, and I'm like, ah, like who. <laughs> The entire uh, right side of the aisle has just been fucking evaporated because of this guy. And it's like anybody who's like at least in a conservative mindset just got evaporated because of this fucking moron with a bullhorn and his face painted and this and, you know, the QAnon shaman. And I think all too often uh, that's what happens with a lot of this stuff. It goes from like really practical, intelligent information and then it starts getting into the mystical. And I'm like, fuck, man, like pull come back come back to the science come back to the to, to the good information and that's what well, that's, I, I, I appreciate about what you're doing well exactly that's what i'm trying to do with sapien that's the whole thing is it's not it's not we're just saying dairy's off the table because we didn't eat it in the paleo period it's if let's look at how people have eaten it in a healthy way and it's raw dairy or let's use goat milk that has different proteins than cow milk and there, there's a thoughtful way to do it or let's ferment it and we make cheeses and it it gets the lactose out and then people can handle it. And there, there's so much more context to it. So for one, yes, we can't be stuck in a dogmatic view of diets like paleo. And two is we need to do the new science. And that's another part of my future too, that I want to do. And I encourage anyone to reach out to me. I'm trying to network with all the doctors and scientists and all these people to let's do it together. Rob too, too bad he moved away from, he was in South Austin area. Yeah. Well, no, he, he was in, uh, he, he was in New Brothels. 
New Broadway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. not South Austin. South of Austin. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, he, down, yeah, down south. Like, we need guys like him, these leaders, Mark Sisson, you know, like, let's, get, let's rally together and get some scientists, too. Those two guys aren't exactly scientists. Uh, they do better science than a lot of scientists out there. Uh, but, uh, for for a guy that doesn't have a PhD, I feel like somebody should just uh, a lot of places should just give Rob Wolf an honorary PhD oh because God. he's done more research. I mean, and uh, it's funny. Rob's one of my best friends. Um, mm. I, I probably talk to him once a week and do. We're on a, a text thread that probably gets hit mm. fifty times a day with information. Um, but yeah, he, uh, um, yeah, I was bummed. Uh, so doc parsley, uh, you know, who's seal doc, he's big with sleep. Also um, been on. Oh, okay. Yeah. So doc, he just parsley came on. Yes. He oh, was just at my spot two, two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so doc comes and trains with us most mornings and, uh, wow. doc's been a friend of ours for years. I need to get in this cool kids club over here. Well, dude, uh, well, we <laughs> come work out. Yeah. We're dude. Come on. Uh, we're happy to have you. So I, I have a bunch of acreage off of Hamilton pool and I have a, a, a gym. Uh, power athlete that I built and then this is our office so mm -hmm. you're always welcome to come train with us um, but uh, you know this is kind of interesting and like it's funny man no matter how good the information is if people aren't receptive it's just fucking falls on deaf ears like the amount of people that I've pointed to just some of Michael Rose like like the Michael Rose one on his uh, fruit flies when I went mm -hmm. through and listened to all that stuff like that absolutely blew my mind and he it was actually at the Ancestral Health Symposium Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and as he's talking, the most impactful thing, and you brought it up too, is I'm like, how old is this dude? Cause he was like referencing the, the certain things within years. I looked it up. Like he said, he's 65 and the dude looks incredible. And I'm like, this was a great talk, but just how he physically looks like I, I really liked his one where they were talking about aging, uh, the brain being the biggest deciding factor in aging. That's why women tend to age slower than men because they mm -hmm. do things like uh, color their hair, you know, plastic surgery, anything they can do to feel younger creates a younger perception in your brain and doesn't age you as fast. Mm -hmm. Like don't wear old people clothes. Mm -hmm. And when I dug into that, I thought about it because my mom's a little older than 80 and uh, she looks like she's in her 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, people are amazed that she looks as young as she does, but she dresses young. She drives a cool car. Uh, you know, obviously she colors her hair like uh, we, you know. we also had Dr. Tara Swart, yeah. um, neurologist in England. At, so uh, not only a PhD, that. but also a MD yeah, in neurology. She so was awesome. She got she, she's Indian, uh, went and had her MD and then went back and got her PhD in neurology. Yeah, she's fucking smart. So she wrote that book, The Source. Yeah. And uh, but that idea of like our perception of ourselves, if you if you, you know, feel old and you look old, then your brain ages faster. And that's like a huge factor. So he talked about like uh, that one was super impactful on, you know, just trying to figure out like because uh, my dad passed away a couple of years ago and my mom's like, uh, I'm never going to, you know, like, uh, am I going to be alone? What, um, you know, what if I meet anybody? And I was like, oh, you should be receptive to it. And then she called me back and she's like, do you know how bad 80 year old men look? <laughs> and she's like, I'm pretty fit. And like, and like all of her friends are pretty fit. And she's, uh, she's like, you know, women exercise. She's like, these men, they look terrible at 80. Why do they look so much worse? And I, so I pointed her to that and she was like, oh, that makes so mm. much sense. So. Well, what we really need to do is get all those cool guys like Doc Parsley. You know, he's, he's on the same page, man. That guy is tuned in. It was great meeting him. And, um, seeing how on the same page he was, but getting these people who have influence, who are role models, guys like you, Rob Wolf, all these people, get them together, somehow get some research done, 
something in the next five years needs to happen. And yeah. Well, I, I feel like the market is so segmented. Um, you know, the one thing about the vegans and the vegetarians and that side of the aisle, they're extremely networked and mm -hmm. they're very, very like on like a very simple United yep. stuff. Like, uh, you know, like, um, somebody asked me about the carnivore diet and I was like, great. I mean, uh, if, if, if that's what you want to eat, that's fine. But at the end of the day, and you know, um, I was, I think I listened, it was, um, uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter you know, yeah. Yeah, uh, had some incredible benefits on a carnivore diet. But when you look at her health issues oh. and you know, the issues, the only, I guess you could say the only thing that she could effectively process due to everything from like gut and just autoimmune diseases was uh, red meat. Mm -hmm. And so I always think if like you're so metabolically broken and you know, have so many problems that the only thing that you can digest, the only thing that works uh, is red meat, then you know what, go for it. But a healthy individual should be able to process more things. And so I get a little nervous when people get so far outside on the rails. So and the point I'm trying to bring up is that like uh, there's all these different approaches and people love to put themselves in these camps and isolate. Well, like, no, I'm a carnivore. These guys, you know, this. And I'm like, dude, it's uh, while everybody's segmented, it's really not about what exactly you're due. And I always go back to Peter Bowersett's deal. Like, do you eat meat? Yes or no? If it's a yes, then we can talk about nuance. If it's no, you're on the other side of the aisle and we need to fucking unite that piece. And so a lot of this stuff and like you know we saw it within paleo and big p and little p and lauren cordain versus this i mean there was all these segmented and it broke up like a religion and sex and uh um i just remember thinking like the infighting and the people that were trying to like draw you know hey this is my little kingdom when we draw a deal all it did was just eroded the fight against the bigger problem which was sickness illness disease dependent you know healthcare and big pharma and this entire agenda that's fucking driving against us where I'm like, why are you guys arguing here? These are the people that are the problem. That's so true. And I don't know the solution because there, yeah, there, there are so many camps and yes, we are not banded together. There's no, it's also just people want their brands and this is my thing or like I do this or I do that. And I don't know the solution. Yeah. The vegans have like a United front and we don't, I guess not to make it about me again, but it, the sapien is trying to do that. I'm trying to say, this is humans, the sapiens. We are all homo sapiens. Well, let's not talk about paleo and fight against carnivore. Let's just say red meat is a health food. Processed foods tend to make people sick. If we can agree on that, then, then we can have a united front and I don't know, make some change. Should yeah. we? Dude, you're in my camp, dude. Uh, that's the first question I ask people. Do you, do you eat meat? Do you eat red meat? Like, okay, now we can have a nuanced conversation. But if the answer is no, then like even on the consults and some of the things that I've done when I work with people, it's the first question I ask them, do you, do you eat meat? No, mm -hmm. then I'm not the best guy for you. Could, could I skin this thing? But the amount of pea protein, because it's obviously a, a much less nutrient-dense form of protein, I mean, they're still vegan bodybuilders, but if you look, they're consuming like six and 800 grams of, of protein from different, you know, uh, protein shakes and, and other ways. So they're still eating a high protein diet, but what they're doing in six or 800, if you look at the uh, nutrient density is fucking what you could do in, in just a few hundred grams of mm -hmm. something that was uh, animal based. So like I get into these, you know, nuanced discussions with people and it's really the first question I ask them. And then once we go there, we can progress. But it, like, that's like my, let me open the door and let you in. Now we're, you know, now we're all on the same side. If you want to eat a carnivore diet because you're mm -hmm. metabolically broken, 
dude, I'm, I'm all for it, but I would like to do some things to try to increase your gut health. But if that's all you can process, then go for it. Um, well, can we start attacking and creating sex within sects within the vegans? Well, got no. the fruititarians, well, but, got the vegetarians. But you got to remember, they have this uh, moral high ground where it's like, well, we all don't eat animals. So then, then we're, we're better than these people. Well, then there's the pet owners, John, that are caging up their animals during the day. Yeah. That's not vegan, bro. Well, I don't know. Uh, I'm just if, saying we can if, create if something. We can just get this whole other side of the market to be like, do you eat like do you eat high, uh, animal based proteins? All right, cool. Now you know. Now we're all friends, and we need to just go and have a united front. But it's so crazy to me, and uh, it's um, like the uh, like the who, who are the wacky Australians? The forty bananas a day people. I thought it was thirty bananas. Was it thirty bananas? Okay, well they maybe they upped it, maybe they lowered it, but like the insanity in those people, you're like. This is insane. So, banana lobby. Yeah, the banana lobby. <laughs> so, dude, freely what's next? Banana girl or something. You uh, hear about that lady? Freely uh, the banana lady? Yeah, these people are insane. <laughs> uh, so, what's next? I mean, obviously, you know, you got the movie uh, they, you know, that you're trying to wrap up and then, you know, do some crowdsourcing funding and uh, get it pushed out. Hopefully, it hits on Netflix and then we can have actually a, a pro meet movie to fight against the fucking game changers nonsense so and then then what's the next piece of this thing um i don't know i haven't thought that far i'm just trying to get the film out i think uh, the next stuff may probably is sapien stuff trying to get people united i think that is actually what's next is is try to unite the front get um all the great people we mentioned together and uh, yeah just do something i think I think we're we're almost splitting into two different societies, especially with all the other stuff we're talking about, all this politics and different COVID stuff going on. I I have a group of people here in Austin that are amazing. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone's smart. Everyone's healthy. Everyone is just tuned in, and they're all on the same page. If you catch my drift, yeah. and we're we just almost need to start our own world. I have a new appreciation for the Amish. <laughs> this is what's uh, next. I have this new appreciation for the Amish. I'm like, hey, these guys are doing their thing. No one bothers them. They're out there living their best life, just eating, you know, natural foods and like not obsessed with technology. What if we had our own? I don't want to start a cult, but it's almost like it's happening. Guys like you guys, all the people we mentioned, they're just we're just going off into our own part of society. I know a lot of guys buying ranches, buying land outside of Austin, you know, around around the country even. That's that's the move. I think we need to just start our own society, but not a cult. Let's not all live in the same land together. It's it's almost like a network of people off, off in the this this you know just not part of normal society. What do, what do you think? Are you well, in? Or uh, yeah, no. I mean, we we already did that five years ago. I mean, uh, okay. yeah. Like I I lived in Newport Beach, and we packed up stakes and we bought a big piece of property out here. And um, you know, when this was still the country. Uh, I don't know how long you've lived here, but when we came out here five years ago, this or was about four and a half. This was, or actually five years ago, uh, where we're where we were here now, off a of Hamilton Pool, was straight up the country. Now mm. they built like three hundred homes over my shoulder, and they built a school mm. in our backyard. So it's pretty amazing. Now they're building eight hundred homes up the road. I mean, just the amount of development in the last four or five years that I told my wife, I'm like, if I knew that this was going to happen, because none of this was in the planning four years ago, five mm. years ago, when we looked at all like the city planning. If I'd known this was the trajectory, we would have moved just farther out. Um, it's uh, it, it's a really interesting thing to see it grow. But I, I I'm, I'm with you, man. It's um, it's 
it's nice to connect with like-minded individuals that are doing cool things to really just further expose the bigger problem, which is like, you know, cause I mean, you think about like, um, like what's the different levels of this, right? Like, I mean, obviously like, is it uh, is it survival, right? Are we looking to, you know, fix the environment, which we know is broken. And the only way you're going to fix and regenerate the land is something like, you know, uh, you know, uh, grazing animals, ground nesting birds, and this like restoration of the land, like you talked about, like the plants pull out the nutrients, the animals, when they eat the grass and they poop and all of a sudden all that natural fertilizer that, you know, happens and then the bird shit and it gets nitrogen and this whole process, uh, you know, that we went over with the guys at Rome ranch, this whole process of how to, and also Bobby from the Savory Institute. Bobby Gill, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. idea. I'm of going like, with Bobby tomorrow morning. Well, dude, dude tell him we said hello. Yeah. He's a friend of ours. Been, been on our podcast, been here. Uh, He's supposed to still bring us a buffalo. I'm still waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the like this whole process of regenerating the land. So I mean, there's like uh, you know intelligent agriculture and this idea of like fixing the environment, which is fine. But there's like this bigger fire that's burning right now, which is this idea or this like sickness and illness, and you know people's dependence on pharmaceuticals and this entire like pharmacology. It's created to fix problems that just are you know we're doing to ourselves by uh, lack of activity obesity and just a sedentary lifestyle i mean look at the mental illness associated with uh, with covid i bet you when we get to the end of this thing they're going to look at the amount of deaths and the amount of suicides as a result of these lockdowns and what's happened is going to far out eclipse those oh so like that's a you know that's a more immediate thing so it's like is it are we trying to fix and save the world that's one uh, are we trying to fix our land are we trying to fix ourselves to like help ourselves or are we looking at a national security threat where all the drugs that we're dependent on aren't produced in the united states and if those get cut off what happens to us so i mean like there are so many layers to this thing and to quote rob wolf it's a lot to unpack but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the amount of layers and you just keep seeing the layers and the layers and the layers and you think, and I'm sure you're in a, you know, like much like yourself as an intelligent dude, you look and you're like, fuck man, this is a massive problem. That's going to take millions of people to solve. Like, where do you start? And then you do what we did where you basically move out of Southern California, come by a ranch and you start living the life that you want to lead in such a way. And you become like, uh, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And it starts with individuals like you're talking about who have effectively taken upon themselves to be the change. And then you just try to put out good information and hope to God that you can fucking pull more people out of the burning house, which is kind of what, you know, we like to think on this podcast and what you're doing with mm-hmm. uh, Food Lies and all your work. So uh, is there a solution? I don't know. And I think you're on to you're onto something just surrounding yourself with like minded individuals that understand that the agenda and more importantly, the narrative that we're being pushed is fucking scares the shit out of me because it looks like bullshit. And I can see the holes in it. I'm like, this is fucking nonsense. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, that, that's what I would try to say. Yeah, what, what's the solution? Yeah, live your life the way you want it. Find your like-minded group, and then put out the information too. So I guess the, you, you hit the both sides, right? And that's exactly what I'm doing. Just put out the film. That's my only big solution: is give the public something to at least open their mind, change their mind. You know, we can't give all the information. We're pushing two hours. We're trying to make it an hour and fifty-nine minutes, just so people will watch it just so Netflix will even buy it and uh, do. Yeah. uh, Hopefully it'll open people's eyes and they can go from there and maybe they'll end up, you know, 
being I got a couple, couple more questions, Brian. Number one, John mentioned his experience, Peter Baustead podcast mm-hmm. and that takeaway. Has there been a, a moment, like a takeaway from one of your podcast experiences that really just that light bulb went off mm-hmm. or it changed your trajectory or way of thinking? It actually was one. And also I do love the Peter Baustead message because I am in the regenerative eggs thing, but I still say, hey, any meat is good meat. Yeah. You know, go out there and get some meat. If you can't afford all the grass finished stuff, go to Walmart. That that meat's been on pasture. You know, it's not the end of the world. They take the antibiotics out of the, you know, it's not like it's pumped up with antibiotics. They, they, they let them get out of their system for 45 days before they slaughter them. It's all good. But um, I did have a change in my thinking. And it was actually a woman, Denise Minger, who's actually going back to Ancestral Health Symposium and speaking. She opened my eyes to the world beyond just like kind of this low carb keto paradigm. I think it's really important um, that I learned this because I, I like I'm talking about not being dogmatic, right, about the diets. And, and I just started out in this community where everyone is, you know, paleo effects and low, uh, low carb, you know, this and, uh, and low carb beta loca. What's that? Low, car, uh, low carb, Vita Vita low carb. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> it. Fucking ridiculous, dude. Like, it's just, you know, we, we, yeah, we don't need to be in these camps. And yep. so watching her presentation and just learning and interviewing her and she's in the film, she's actually a great food historian talking about like how our food industry got this way and got messed up is that she's like, you know, there's this one camp way over on the meat side and fat side and one camp on the vegan side. And then there's a swamp land in the middle. But really, there's a lot of similarities on both sides. And there's actually, I just learned more about the science of like how it can work. Like you can eat a decent diet that's based on starches and fruit and meat and organs maybe. And you could develop a nutrient dense diet that actually doesn't use much fat. And that, I think that's the diet that we were uh, forced to do a lot, right? Throughout history or now that there's not as big fatty animals, there's a lot of tribes around the world eating leaner meats like they only have access to smaller animals with leaner meats they're eating tubers and fruits and they're doing fine and i have no problem with that so it's like when once especially when you understand the physiology of that it's just, it's not bad like no one we don't all have to be low carb keto people you know like there we just need to agree on avoiding the processed foods and eating the animal foods so yes that, that was kind of a wake-up call for me is is going beyond my world that i started in well the um I think that this whole like uh, um, carbs are evil thing started uh, like, you know, with like the insulin paradox and, uh, you know, uh, Gary Tobbs and, you know, he wrote, um, uh, God, what was his book? Um, Good calories, bad calories. Yeah. Good calories, bad calories. And really like that idea, which has since been disproven, but like the idea that uh, we're fat because, you know, we overeat carbs when no, we're fat because we just overeat. He didn't need to put the carbs on there. Uh, and it's normally highly palatable food that they figured out that if they can conv- basically combine carbs and fat, you can create this like veritable like amusement park in your body where, you know, serotonin goes up and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like crack cocaine. Uh, we were talking about it yesterday with the Doritos effect, the idea that, you know, they're spending millions of dollars to create this hyper palatable food. I mean, nobody eats one Dorito. I mean, I can't even remember the last time I had a Dorito, but I remember it was pretty damn good. And uh, Mark Schatzker. Yeah, did yeah. you read that book? Yeah, yep, uh, yeah. that's what we're referencing. But like there's, you know, people, you know, a company spending millions of dollars to food scientists to develop this most highly palatable foods, and they found that there's this really interesting cross-section. It's kind of like uh, icing, 
right? Like icing is what, like lard and sugar. I mean, the, I mean, icing on a cake is like, you know, it's literally the icing on the cake. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've figured this thing out pretty well. Um, the only thing that makes it really difficult, uh, you know, and you think about like packaging of food, whatever, it's really hard for the proteins. I mean, you know, that's why I always said, dude, if you can just eat a high protein diet, you can backfill with, uh, you know, whatever you like in terms of carbs and fat based off of taste. Um, as long as we're looking at a total caloric load and if you're, you know, basically burning more than you're consuming and you're eating a high protein diet, you're probably not going to lose any muscle. So it's a, it's a really fascinating thing where I think everybody just vilified the carbs and it was easier to point their finger uh, kind of, you know, at the carb than it was to be like, we just eat too much fucking food. We just overeat. And as a, as a, a country, you know, our obesity epidemic isn't because of some evil carbohydrate that's going to break into your house and steal your wallet mm-hmm. and, you know, yep. fucking uh, have sex with your wife. Big um, carb. Big carbs after us. Yeah, yeah, big carb. Uh, it's really just too much food in people's perception. I mean, you're, you know, you've been in the food biz. I, I, Rob and I had a food business years ago, and I remember when we went through and we were having to create the labeling uh, for the, um, uh, the USDA, you know, for like, you know, what's in there. You can be off by up to 20%. Mm-hmm. So plus yeah. or minus 20% on, on everything. So like the idea of like, okay, hey, I'm going to track my food based off of what's on. You got to have like a 20% plus or minus margin of error. So then the only way you know this is if you consume food, you weigh yourself, you exercise, you figure out your energy expenditure and you start doing a little bit of math, you know, then you start figuring out what's accurate and what's not. The only thing that's kind of non-negotiable is you look at like red meat, for example, I know exactly how many, you know, what the total caloric load is in X amount. And so it's really come down to this deal where, you know, and even in the, the protein overfeeding studies, people didn't get fat. They actually put on, they actually lost fat because of the thermogenic effect. So my thought is like, do you eat meat? And then however you want to backfill and however you want to skin it. And I think what we got into is people were so big in these camps, like low carb, you know, uh, keto and this. And I'm like, man, they need to unite these guys. It's just like protein eaters. And however you want to get there, it's based upon you and what you want to do casting stones at everybody else they should be casting stones at just consuming too much fucking food it's a great point and yeah that's why most camps are either on the low carb side or the high carb side and you can do well on either one and yeah the the problems seem to occur when you mix them but then people still can mix them but then i think the people that do do kind of like a mixed diet they're the ones that have to count calories more and weigh the food and you know be more mindful because you can't overeat it easily and also, I mentioned the seed oils. I'm, I think that we tied up all the loose ends of stuff that we talked about. I mentioned Ancestral Health Symposium seed oils. There's just some great guys speaking uh, this year uh, that I've interviewed already about the seed oils. And it, it seems like that is the real problem. You know, it's not a war against carbs and all that. I mean, it's pretty much a war against processed carbs, I guess. So processed sugars and grains. But really, a lot of, a lot of people these days are thinking, you know, maybe it's these seed oils. It's like these processed oils are not what humans need. And that is another team we can get on where we're on team protein and anti seed oil. I think that's pretty interesting. For sure. Is Brian, is there like a white whale podcast guest that you're going after? Like, do you want to bring James Cameron on and just put the light on his face interrogation or anyone on your team? You know what? I've tried, I always try to get the big vegans on and they don't answer me. No, um, they, I don't they know. Don't. Yeah, I haven't thought of that. I, I'd love to talk to some of these people. I actually spoke at a food industry conference uh, two years ago and they put me up. It was supposed to be carnivore versus vegan. I was like, I'm not carnivore. And this lady's like, I'm not vegan. <laughs> but uh, 
we did have a debate and i don't know anything happened well it was like uh, if anyone uh, it, it was like when they had um chris kresser on rogan to debate that deal and uh you know i, I forgot the guy that they james they wilkes would, yeah, against chris james, kresser yeah yeah um yeah james wilkes from the movie and uh dude they spent a ton of time uh fucking prepping him and getting him ready for that oh mm-hmm. and uh right prep uh, Cresser's a sharp dude, but not but not like a pit fighter. I mean, he's he's like he's pretty mild natured. I uh, yep. spent a lot of time. He's super sharp, but he's a very thoughtful dude. And uh, they just went in there and fucking bulldozed him, and mm-hmm. uh, you know attacked him on that. You know, he can't read a, a fucking food plot. I mean, it was yeah, it was a, a plot, yeah, uh, uh, an uh, argument against him yeah. as a man versus like the the yeah. film. Info. Oh yeah, yep. dude, it, it was. Uh, what they should have done is they should have gotten uh, they should have had Rob go on there instead. Because Rob's a fucking, not only is he in jiu-jitsu, but he's, Rob is a fucking fiery, prickly individual <laughs> who is sharp as fuck, and that's why I love him. Uh, but like somebody like him, or even Elaine Norton, um, you know, I mean, talk about one of the most prickly dudes on the planet, uh, and not really in anybody's camp, but can dismantle these arguments and does it all the time. So I, I think the selection in that, I wish they had put somebody in who was just a lot more prickly uh, to fucking battle these guys. And I think that's what happens is there's a ton of money in prepping this and they found ways to shoot holes in Cresser and destroy his credibility opposed from just sticking to the information. And it was a master class in prep. And then I bet he had some great lawyers involved. Like these, it was like some good tactics. And yeah. I actually did a two and a half hour debunk of that with Dr. Paul Saladino mm-hmm. uh, debunking cool. that podcast. So it was like we went down so many layers. It went from debunking to debunking to like debating to debunking. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a, it, it's an interesting deal. But I think if, um, uh, and and this is just my speculation, if people just kind of a lot of these guys just simplified this stuff a little bit, got away from like the carbs is evil, and realized like you know processed foods are really the bigger problem. High protein diets, exercise, uh, you know, like you said, a little bit of fasting and just an intelligent approach. I think we could fix a ton of these problems. The problem is, is at least the way I view it, is that the message has been so convoluted with so many different sects and camps and messages in this that uh, I think it just confuses people. Um, you know, our stuff's always been real simple, like eat a high-protein diet. If you want to gain weight, eat in caloric surplus. If you want to lose weight, eat in caloric deficit. Still following a high-protein diet. Lift weights, train. Um, you know, I usually like a kind of a more balanced uh, isocaloric kind of balanced macros. Like, you know, uh, eat your protein, figure that out, split your carbs and fats. And then break that up into how many times you have a day. I mean, if you need to eat three, four, five times a day, whatever it is, if you can do it in two, do it in two. And then go out and bust your ass in the gym. And we found that if people pour the gas on in the gym, your margin of error gets much bigger. You know, if you don't train, you got to be fight, or you know, or if you just want to walk or do some bullshit. But if you're in there banging heavy weights and you're, uh, you know, sprinting, running, doing aerobic work, I mean, with all, all these different energy systems, your margin of error gets really big. Where all of a sudden now, I might not have to be so dialed, unless you're trying to get in shape for a bodybuilding show or a fitness thing. Where all of a sudden now, I got to look my best on this given day, and then it's kind of got to dial it in. But for most health, plus or minus, and don't be a fucking crazy person. Don't be a weirdo. Um, like that's the biggest one. Like if you want to drink a beer, have a beer, you know, find a glass of wine, you know, be a normal human being. Yes, and I think yes. part of this stuff is like, don't be weird. And the problem is when we get in this nutrition thing, people get fucking weird. Can't weird. So don't be a weirdo. I saw that that was your last episode. And I love yeah. that message. Cause I know some the, the people in this nutrition world and they go hardcore and they would be like, I would never drink one drop of alcohol. I know guys that 
brought their own meat and their own pan and their own water to my place and wouldn't eat or drink anything from my house because they were so obsessed. Yeah, that's when you get into that weird stuff, man. And uh, we used to see it all the time. I, I, um, I taught, or shit, Chris and I and a, and a bunch of others, uh, we worked with CrossFit. So uh, just my history, when I retired from the NFL, I got approached by CrossFit about teaching uh, a methodology using CrossFit principles to train athletes. So we taught a seminar, geez, all over the globe. I mean, what, 26 countries over nine years and like 300 plus seminars. Six continents, yeah. Yeah, six mm. continents. And uh, so we literally rode warriors. And we had, and I remember teaching a seminar and this weird cat showed up um, and I only call him kind of weird because he smelled awful and he Mm. just looked really unhealthy like really (laughs) inflamed and the whole deal and he was like basically had these uh, these mason jars of like what he called his elixir and it was uh, it was raw eggs uh, like raw powdered sugar and it was just this crazy shit he was drinking and um, he's like oh man I live on this stuff and it's made me so healthy and I'm like dude the inflammation I can see in your body and your face, like mm. I could push a finger in it and like, you know, like this on mm-hmm. the leg and mm. the indentation would stay. I'm like, dude, whatever you're doing, you're so inflamed. You basically have fucking destroyed. And he was only eating uh, raw organ meats. So he was a raw food diet guy and didn't believe for in, in cooking anything. Oh, this wow. dude smelled so bad his performance was so awful. He was the weakest dude there. And we had women at that seminar and the dude was just an absolute disaster. And wow. he's trying to sell me on the, the, you know, the health benefits. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm just going to give you just from a, I've never met you. This is just a layman's observation. You're the worst performer here. You're the weakest person here. And we have ladies in the seminar. You smell awful. And the level of inflammation I can see in your body and like it within your breath, um, I would say stop this fucking immediately. You pretty much are fucking killing yourself. And like the look on the dude's face was like his whole world crumbled because this is what he had attached to for his identity. And in my nutrition talk, that was my whole deal. Where it's like, first of all, don't believe in magic. Just don't be a fucking weirdo. And like these are the principles you follow. And if all of a sudden the performance in the gym and all the other ways that we test all this stuff are fucking tanking, then you either need to reach out, find somebody smarter, or make a pivot. Uh, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different response. You're fucking insane. And like the, <laughs> the dude shattered. And um, I mean, after giving these nutrition talks hundreds of times to thousands of people, like to be able to cut through the bullshit, but like it's, uh, it, and it's really where I coined that, like don't be weird. And more importantly, like this stuff isn't magic. This is just like the law of thermodynamics, like this, there's no fucking wizardry in this and you need to take off your Harry Potter hat. So, um, and I'm sure you, you've run into people that are like, if I can think you're like a ninth level wizard and you're like, dude, this isn't wizardry, bro. This is just so food. easy. Yeah. That it's just like team logic, common sense, basic ancestral health. That's yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, I got one, oh. one more question for you. I'm on nose to tail.org building mm-hmm. a, a little cart here so we got some bison steaks and ground beef with organs ground in what on earth is biltong oh yeah that's a south african version of beef jerky basically and i'll glad you got the the primal ground beef with the organs that's the best way to get the organs in like i'm not i'm not trying to eat all the raw organs or do whatever that guy was doing i just i just get them in the ground beef and uh cook up a burger patty and i'm good Chris, but, um, um, uh, what's the uh, uh, maximal 
uh, load that you can consume of liver before you start having uh, you're destroying your Krebs cycle? Uh, well, I'll tell you how to get into ketosis without eating keto. Just overload on il- uh, liver and so we overdose had, on vitamin. What is uh, it? Yeah, the, vitamin A. Yeah, the yeah. fats right to vitamins. ketosis. So Chris uh, uh, got on. I, I think you like. The recommendation was like like one to three ounces a week of liver. Yep. So what I do is uh, I put it in the freezer and then I cut it up into little chunks and I eat it frozen. And I'll do like mm-hmm. maybe once a week, every other week, you know, eat like, you know, one to three ounces. Chris thought like one to three ounces a day, every day. It's not thought. It's like four bucks or it's like a dollar a freaking like, you yeah. know, meal. Yeah. Free. So, so Chris was eating liver four meals a week, four meals a week. Oh man. And then uh, we, when we got our blood work done and the doctor's like, uh, like, you know, basically sent him this graph and it's like, um, your Krebs cycle is broken. You're basically hotlining this. And she's like, you're in like severe ketosis. And he's like, I'm not eating, I'm drinking like a 12 pack of beer a week mm-hmm. and like eating carbs in this. And she's like, you're in nutritional ketosis. And on top of it, uh, like your vitamin A was like through the roof, which was basically blocking and creating all these other issues. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, I've been eating a lot of liver. Eating real healthy, Doc. (laughs) Organs. Yeah, organs. Uh, I like hearts. Um, I uh, uh, the guys from Stay Classy, and I don't know if you, dude, if you you get them too, but uh, they'll send me an entire buffalo heart, and Mm. uh, um, I'll slice them up and I cook them in the crock pot for probably about thirty six hours. I'll throw them in there with salt and like green salsa, and I just put them in the crock pot at low. And then once it's done, I let it warm in there for about another day. And then we cook it, cut it, uh, cut it up into beef heart tacos, and it's unbelievable. So that and like tongue sandwiches is what we used to eat as kids. My mom would get like a big cow tongue, boil it, cut it up, and then we'd have that with like on uh, little pieces of bread with mustard. And so it's pretty interesting that like for the most part, people have eaten this stuff, but now all of a sudden it's like a big, big fucking problem. It is. Well, yeah, that's. A little goes a long way of the organs, but I think they're super important. Yeah. And people have always eaten them and that's what we're trying to do. We're using the whole animal at nose tail. We're actually like trying to use the, the hides too. We're trying to figure out how to tan the hides. Like we're using the bones, we're using everything. So, uh, yeah, with, uh, the biltong though, that's the South African jerky. So instead of, you know, build jerky, it's like they dehydrate quickly at a high temperature. So that we'll do the exact opposite. You dehydrate it slowly you air dry it at a low temperature for seven days. And then when, without using any sugars or chemicals or preservatives or anything, uh, and then you get built on, it's great. It's a South African thing. Well, I was over there a few years back and they're obsessed with it over there and trying to bring it to the U S I got a great South African business partner that makes it here. Oh, badass. Uh, yeah. do you, um, one, one of my favorites here in Austin, uh, and I'm sure you found some spots, but, uh, that do, uh, the babacoa where they basically boil the cow's head. And mm-hmm. then it's the the meat off of the face. So if you go down to radio, uh, that okay. yeah, uh, they have a food truck there that does it. And dude, it is unbelievable. Like I love cow face. That's like and dude, but you only find that in like legit Mexican spots. Yeah, the legit the beef yeah. cheeks. Oh, that stuff is delicious. Isn't that the best? Like the I mean, oh, it's not just the cheeks. I mean, it's like the whole face. Everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, dude, I'm like throw a little eyeball in there too. I'll take one of those too. <laughs> just mix it all up. So. Well, dude, if people want to get a hold of you, or if they want to uh, get more information, or if they want to get into nose to tail, how do they find you? Where do they support you? I mean, obviously, we talked about Food Lies on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sapien.org has links to nose to tail, 
and the Food Lies film and all that. But yeah, I'm just on Food Lies on any social media platform. I'm trying to get that out there every day, get some, you know, useful content out there. So yeah, just find me at Food Lies, just any social media. Cool. And your podcast is the Sapien Podcast? Uh, Peak Human. I do have a Sapien Podcast, a side thing with Dr. Gary, but my main one is Peak Human. And uh, yeah, find me there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for tuning in Mm -hmm. to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John, and this is Tex, and we're out. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Brian Sanders on Instagram at food.lies. Until next time, bye!